is for sure. So we gave you the good stuff at the top. Thank you, Reed, for a great uh, introduction. Would you stand with me? We are back in our Romans 12 series, reading these uh, 12 verses, uh, each 12, no, 13 verses uh, each week. Here it is. Ready? Go. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Today, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. This message series is all about encouraging us that the postures that we take are more important than the issues that face us. And as you see basketballs bouncing across the stage, just to remind you that what a posture is, is taking a position to be ready for something. Basketball players have to continue to learn the fundamentals. Those of you who like Steph Curry, you might know his pregame warmups where he's doing the fundamentals over and over, positioning himself to be successful when it matters. Paul is giving a list of commands. Do these things, and in doing them, you will represent the Lord well. This is back to fundamentals. Paul said in the beginning of Romans 12, do no, no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we know that the world is not making us into loving people, but the scriptures are. Somebody say, praise God. Today, yes, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. One of the worst days of my life was the day that I learned my cousin Colby had been killed in a car accident. Worse, he was drunk and killed another woman. I was 22 years old, and it was my first experience with deep grief and pain and loss. I was in Bible college at the time in Los Angeles, and my cousin was here from in, in Silverton. And so Danya, whom I was engaged to be married to, and I were trying to find a way to get home to be with the family. At that time, I was telling one of my friends about it, and I was processing some of my pain, and he listened for a while, and then he had a quizzical look on his face. And uh, in his ineptness, he said, I don't think you were really that close to him. Is it that big of a deal? That's what he said. Yes, it was a big deal. <laughs> 
What I needed was a Christian who would weep with me as I wept. You need that too. The Christian community can be a supportive and caring community around you. I, I hope that our Christian community can be that for you. And we hope that you would be a part of caring for this community by weeping with those who weep. But our scripture doesn't just address weeping and mourning, but also rejoicing or celebrating. <laughs> it's quite a spectrum that Paul is inviting us to with just a few words. Dr. Kurt Thompson, who is a noted Christian psychologist, he observes that our brains do not regulate on their own. We need others. He goes as far as to say no brain exists in independence but all of our brains are always connected to everyone else. Now, when he says regulate, he doesn't just mean regulate as in come back to neutral, like if you're on a high, then you come back to neutral. If you're on a low, then you come back to neutral. But what he is getting at is that we need others to properly work our way through these real emotions that are telling us something about reality. And I must add to this, if the conditions of our lives are as terrible as they sometimes seem, we must lean on each other to grieve the seriousness of the situation. And we must learn to own the lament in our very bones. We can't do that alone. We need others to help us to know when our deep weeping is because the society where the situation we are in is absolutely off. We need each other. Paul is suggesting that we do help each other to feel and work through the highs and lows and to feel and work through um, all of it together. The Christian community can be this dexterous community that can go to the depths and the heights with you. The Christian community can be a community, a people that rally to each other. However, everybody say, however, however. we live in a society that has absolutely torn us from each other. And don't hear me wrong. This is not them out there that is doing that thing to us. But in the very DNA of our culture, individualism reigns. Selfishness is the impulse. And so, <laughs> often, this is what our despair is cluing us into. Something is really wrong. And because we're torn from each other, we do not naturally weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We tend to experience everything on our own. All by myself. Don't want to be, <laughs> but we are. <laughs> we are perpetually strangers to one another. Donnie was asking, we were at a, you know, another event for one of our kids, volleyball, and it was great. And she said, okay, we're going to go in and we're going to meet people. And there's like a thousand people in this gym. And I said, I am tired of being perpetual strangers. But our world is set up to where we're atomized. That means we are not naturally connected to one another. And so we are always strangers to one another. 
That is something to grieve and also makes it very difficult to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, the reasons for this are vast, but just consider this. Um, A 1975 article titled From Porch to Patio, Um, somebody making observations about architecture changes. And this this, uh, journalist observed that up until the suburban expansion of post-World War II, when suburbs became ubiquitous across the United States, most houses were built with a large wraparound front porch. And the front porch was meant to be a space where you could connect with neighbors and passerbys, a kind of a thin space where it's private. Somebody can't jump onto your porch very easily, but you can easily engage with them. And it was very important to know your neighbors and to know what they're up to (laughs) and maybe pass on the gossip of the neighborhood to the next front porch that you see. But after World War II, houses began to be built with a back patio and not a front porch. The priority became private space for the family to keep to themselves. Private space where you can do your barbecuing. And when you do your barbecuing privately, you can claim that you are the best barbecuist in the world because nobody sees what's really going on, yeah. There's an impulse in our culture towards aloneness, privacy, my life, my family. And this does change things. This does put pressure on us to be alone. This is why deaths of despair have increased in current times. And certainly COVID has accentuated that because we indeed are alone. The very impulse of our culture is to be that alone. So there are a myriad of other examples, but my point is culture leads us to aloneness. And perhaps we need each other most when it's time to rejoice, to celebrate. And we need each other most when it's time to mourn. And maybe one of the greatest indicators of how disconnected we are is how lonely we often feel in our celebrations and in our mournings. Have you felt lonely with your grief before? Yeah, it's because you are. Our culture, our society has set us up for this. Or maybe alone with your celebrations. You just wish more people knew about the victories that you were experiencing, but there's no means to do it. And so we put something on Facebook, but Facebook two-dimensionalizes everything, trivializes everything, and actually our celebrations on Facebook become injuries to other people who think that their life isn't as good as your life. We need to embody this together in the Christian community to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. Imagine this, when you're at your lowest, experiencing the worst of pain, a whole bunch of people, these people here, join you as you cry. When you're out of tears, somebody else picks up the pain for you. Your pain is their pain. It's not for you to bear alone, imagine that. But your pain then becomes the burden of the community. Now, that feels idealistic to us, which is indicative of how atomized, that means separate, we are. We cannot quite fathom that. We think that grief is something that I have to figure out. God has not created that. Your brain does not exist independently. You are among and need 
to rejoice with those who rejoice, and to weep with those who weep. Now, many traditional cultures have built this sort of mechanism into their lives. We don't have these. In Italy, for example, this one small example, when someone dies, posters are made announcing the death and the time of mourning, and people are invited to come to the funeral, even if they didn't know the person. It is expected that the community absorbs some of the pain and participates with you. That is not our expectation. And so much so it's not our expectation that we've done away with cemeteries at churches because we don't want to be reminded of death. In other words, we don't want to be reminded that the curse is still very much alive and affects us and we need to grieve with one another. We're bereft in our culture, if left to itself, but we can build it here. We can build it here. You and I bearing with one another, finding ourselves in a closely knotted web of relationships in which your grief can be borne and your rejoice can be echoed and affirmed by the community. So let's start with the rejoicing part. But I I would like to note, for those of you who are pain adverse, or crying adverse, or mourning adverse, that Paul doesn't say some of you are gifted to weep and some of you are gifted to rejoice. He does make individual distinctions throughout his writings about the different gifts that we have. This is not about a gift. This is about something he invites every person into. So you might find yourself prone towards one or the other, but you're called to both. Let's start with rejoicing. Rejoice with those who rejoice. I'm going to spend less time on this part because I'm of the opinion that we... While we need to increase both mourning and rejoicing, we are worse at the mourning together. So I think, this is my thought, this is Isaac's thought, this is not an exposition of scripture, I just think we need more parties. That's what we need. We need to rejoice, yeah, we need more parties. Parties are for rejoicing. Parties are for celebrating the good of life. My son just raised up his hands. He is rejoicing with me as we rejoice about parties. We should celebrate more. Somebody say amen. Amen. And we should invite each other to each other's parties. This year, I want to attend more parties. That is my goal. Now, some people are talking about throwing COVID parties so that we can all just get over COVID. That's not exactly what I'm referring to, and I might decline your invitation, but I do want to be invited to more parties. If, if I can, I want to be at your wedding. I want to be at your engagement party. I want to be to your birthday sh- party. I want to be to your baby shower. Can I do that? Is that legal? I think so. I'm the pastor. I have permission to be there. Yeah. <laughs> your anniversary celebration, et cetera. These are opportunities to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. This isn't about getting me, you know, like the pastor to your thing, but it's about including each other, each other in each other's lives. Now, in terms of building this into our community here, I want you to consider expanding the guest list of your next party. Next week, we will study the verses following these, and we'll discover that Paul is endeavoring to challenge the community to include all statuses of people in life. Paul is working from an understanding that there were classes and very clear distinguishments between classes, and he says, include the lowly, in other words, those who you feel are underneath you. The invitation for us who live in a more egalitarian society is include those who you don't know. In the Christian community, we should be accustomed to inviting strangers into our lives so that they become friends. Donya turned 40 last year. Somehow she only turned 34 this year, but she did turn 40 (laughs) last year. 
<laughs> and I threw her a West Wing birthday party because her favorite show is The West Wing. And I assigned all these press credentials to all of her friends who were coming. And with their press credentials, they gave a speech at like the, the, the podium that we made, like the Oval Office podium. And people celebrated and rejoiced as she turned 40 years old. It was a fun event. People enjoyed rejoicing with her and with me, rejoicing together. It was fun, not just because of the fun we had, but because we were together doing it. We need to throw more parties. Okay, some thoughts for that, rejoicing. I encourage you celebrate big and small victories. And when you hear, read, great job. When you hear people rejoicing about something that you don't get to do, like, you know, <laughs> I've noticed that many families go to Disneyland more frequently than my family ever has. <laughs> not, not to be jealous of that, but to rejoice with those who rejoice. Another thought, parties don't have to be fancy. Andrea Larson, a, few, a couple months ago, talked about hospitality and talked about in kingdom-oriented Jesus hospitality. It's not about the big and the fancy and the spectacular. It's just about doing it together. And then also, speaking of Danya, she wisely said this last week. She said this, and this will be helpful for many of you. She said, the big party may not be a blessing to all of us. She said, rejoicing could be a phone call, a text, a handwritten card, or a tribute a small group of people celebrating a close friend, or it could be sending flowers to someone across the country. How we express rejoicing is how we express solidarity with the good that happens in another's life. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Yeah. Now, God is the great partier. I don't know if you noticed that we call them feasts, which sounds very like, you know, special, or we call them holy days. But essentially, in the Old Testament, you know, he's like, and now you're going to party here. And then 40 days after that, you're going to have another party here. And you're going to eat lots of food. And this party is going to be outside and you're going to make tents. And all the kids are like, yes, we're going to make tents and go outside. God is the first partier, and we should be like him. I hope you guys are catching what I'm saying. Okay, that could be taken the other way. Then Paul says, weep with those who weep. I'm of the opinion that the anger problem in our culture, have you noticed the anger problem in our culture? Yeah. I think it is directly related to the mourning problem that we have. I don't know that it's like a direct proportion for the math people, but so much healing happens with our tears. And as I mentioned before, we need to weep with others properly to move through our emotions. Chris Bowlby, upon reading this, he's our associate pastor, he pointed out that many therapists would say that anger is a secondary emotion. He continued, our culture has gotten really good at anger. Think of our outrage culture. Scripture never says, blessed are those who rage. <laughs> if we can't ever spend enough time to move from anger to sadness, we are never going to feel the comfort that God has for us. Often our anger is a secondary emotion that is expressing what is ultimately true, our sadness. We don't have means to do that. And so it comes out in anger. Moreover, if we don't move through our emotions and grieve, we will get stuck in anger. And stuck in anger is things like retaliation 
resentment, bitterness, the calcification of one's soul, <laughs> you know, Ugh. judgment, chronic judgment. This is basically Facebook. <laughs> That's what that is, yeah. <sighs> we need to work through much better our mourning and our weeping. Did you know that there are diff we have three different kinds of tears? Did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Jay Leno right now, for those of you who know. Did you know that, Kev? Huh? Huh? Kev? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's an old reference now. <laughs> but I'm not old enough to make any Johnny Carson references, just so you know. Yeah. Yeah, so here on the screen, we have uh, two different, under a microscope, two different kinds of tears. Onion tears, which is like the, you know, reaction on the top. And then grief tears. There's a, there's a totally different biochemical composite of grief tears. And actually our grief tears have healing agents in them. They actually carry with them pain relieving agents. Your tears literally carry away your pain. Isn't that interesting? Our bodies are processing many things when we cry. A recent article from Harvard Health states this, on the screen, crying is an important safety valve, largely because keeping difficult feelings inside, what psychologists call repressive coping, can be bad for our health, <laughs> probably in those around us as well. Studies have linked repressive coping with a less resilient immune system, cardiovascular disease, and hypertension, as well as with mental health conditions, including stress, anxiety, and depression. Crying has also been shown to increase, increase attachment behavior, encouraging closeness, the big word that Reed used earlier, empathy, and support from friends and family. Jesus seemed to know this. In the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's read it together. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then John tells us that upon hearing the death of his friend Lazarus, Jesus wept. He practiced what he preached. <laughs> There's comfort when we mourn. Walter Brueggemann, great theologian that has been very influential to me, he says this, Jesus knew what we numb ones, that's us, must always learn again, A, that weeping must be real because endings are real. In other words, there's real loss that we experience. It's not a figment of our imagination. No one can be so thoughtful as to avoid all loss in their life, but endings are real. And then B, Brueggemann says, weeping permits newness. His, Jesus' weeping, permits the kingdom to come. Such weeping is a radical criticism, a fearful dismantling, because those who do not mourn will not be comforted, and those who do not face the endings will not receive the beginnings. The alternative community, that's us, the church, knows it need not engage in deception. It can stand in solidarity with the dying, for those are the ones who hope. We hope is engendered within us when we mourn, when we are honest about endings and loss and the difficulties and challenges of this world. 
If we do not mourn or cry, we will become numb. And numb people get stuck in time. Numb people bring the past to every present moment and stagnate the possibility of a new future. Oh, let us not become numb people. Let us not become bitter, entrenched, judgmental people. And folks, I'll be honest with you, <laughs> many Christians right now sound angry and bitter and entrenched. I just think they need to release the valves and cry. The world isn't what they want it to be. Okay, have a good cry and let's work through it together. Now, when Jesus created a new community, us, the church, he gave us others to process with, to carry burdens with, what a gift. Jesus knew what he was doing. We are beleaguered, of course. It's difficult. We are in difficult seasons. Let, let us not become numb. Let us feel the pain we must go through. We must not avoid or limit the emotional pain of life, but we must press through the pain, process the pain, so we can be healed, comforted, but even more so, healed and ready for what comes next. And for the Jesus follower, life always comes after weeping. Death brings about renewal. For rejoicing and weeping, we need each other. Let's cling to each other in our difficulties and our celebrations. Praise God. There are always both, but let's be dexterous and go to the depths with each other and the heights. All right, three big ideas for application this week, and then we'll receive communion together. First of all, sign up for Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, the course that I mentioned at the front of the service, eight-week course that is helping us to be healthy emotionally. <laughs> Our culture is not healthy by itself uh, emotionally, and there's great resources and teaching and learning that will be very helpful for us. We need to learn about how to be healthy with our emotions. Number two, I encourage you, throw a party and invite some other new hopers to it. Let us rejoice with you as you rejoice. And the final thing, for those of you who are in a process of grieving or mourning, don't only cry alone. Please don't hear that we would say that any time you cry alone is wrong or bad. But I would encourage you, consider inviting somebody else into it. And for those of you who don't know where to step with that, you don't have that kind of friend, we have a ministry called Stephen Ministry here. And that is a person that is trained to walk with you through pain and difficulty to where you can work through some of where you're at. That's precisely why they are trained. In the back of the seat in front of you, there's a card for you to sign up for Stephen Ministry. Those of you online, there is a place on our website, inewhope.org, to sign up to receive a caregiver, somebody that will walk with you. We have people trained to do that. Don't cry alone. Hmm. So when God came into the world through Jesus, his life to, led to both weeping and rejoicing. The gospel of Jesus contextualizes all this for you. When we observe the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus, we weep and we mourn because the powers of the world rejected God's love in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And those fallen and dark powers, they, they live in us, mind you. So when we observe those who put Jesus on the cross, 
we must soberly evaluate our own lives and mourn our propensity to miss God, to reject him, to snuff out the good of God in the world. We weep. Observing the death and resurrection of Jesus brings us to weeping. It recognizes, oh, in me and in us, we are prone to lose our way. James says this, it's not on the screen, but in James chapter four, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. When we come each week to the communion table, we come soberly. It's been said throughout the centuries, many theologians, studiers of scriptures have come to the conclusion, I, I also put Jesus on the cross. That's in me. That religiosity, that sinfulness, that impulse, I will do it my way. God couldn't look like that. Yeah, I probably would have done it too. And we weep for that. But also the cross of Jesus leads us to rejoicing. We rejoice that our greatest fallenness, our biggest errors do not surpass the grace of God. We can't outwit God's love. God in his great mercy took the most brutal symbol of death and torture, the cross, and redeemed it into a symbol of redemption, reconciliation, and hope. We rejoice because he's able to make beauty from ashes. He's able to make rebuilt lives from crosses. Paul, marveling, about the grace of God given through the scourge of the cross, writes to the Corinthians, he says, for the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who, has, or who are in this salvation, it is the very power of God. God is able to take folly and horridness and turn it into beauty. He can do that with your life too brokenness, the pain, the misery, the wretchedness. That is true. We weep because we are lost, but then we rejoice because we're found in him. So would you stand with me and we're going to pray this prayer of confession before we receive communion together. time of communion is the bread representing the body of Jesus, the, uh, the cup, the juice representing the blood of Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And we partake of it every week to remind ourselves of what is ultimately true. God wins. And he wins our hearts over as we come back to him. 
Our communion table here is open. That means if you are somebody that is trusting Jesus on your way to trusting Jesus, you can partake. You don't have to be a member here or have been baptized here. You can receive of communion and invite you to do that in just a moment. Donnie and I will be on either side of the stage. We'll serve it to you and uh, we'll give you a blessing. Christ was broken so you may heal. That's what we'll say to you as you come forward in just a moment. But let's read this prayer. We're gonna pause right in the middle. Ready, go. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I admit that I have been wrong in thought, in motive, and in action. Now the second half, ready, go. It is only by your grace that I can be freed from my guilty conscience. Please forgive me. Help me to live purely today. Thank you. Amen. So in the next few minutes, come forward to either side and uh, receive the blessing. Christ was broken so you may heal. Then you'll partake of it. You take it back to your seat, partake of it whenever you'd like uh, during the next song.